Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Will Mavity's interviews with the screenwriter for Air, Alex Convery, and the film's editor, William Goldenberg. 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down, our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA all-star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. This is where you come up with a brilliant idea that no one else can see. Let's hear it. I got it. I found him. Who's that? Jesus? Can't afford it. I'm willing to bet my career on one guy. My name's Sonny Vaccaro. I'm with Nike. Do you typically make it a habit of showing up at people's front doors unannounced? I don't like to take no for an answer. Oh, man. Here we go. You ask me what I do here. This is what I do. I find you players, and I feel it this time. Okay, it's risky. When you were selling sneakers out of the back of your Plymouth, that was risky. Don't change that now. For a rookie? Yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie, yeah. So I am unfortunately going to ask you a bunch of stuff. I know you've answered before, but I think your story is really cool. And, you know, I'd like to hear you tell it. So you you go from never having accredited screenplay to, you know, having Ben Affleck directing your movie and getting sole Mm -hmm. screenwriting credit. Start me at the beginning, man. How do you get here? I mean, gosh, that's a... (laughs) it's a long road right and it always is i mean that's the funny part of this like yes it is my first produced uh uh credit and and like my first screenplay and all of that but but it certainly is not the first one i uh i've written you know you go through just years and years and years of of rejections and starts and stops and you know one step forward two step back type of thing um you know the 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 short version is uh you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and 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 came out to LA for film school. I, I went to uh, to USC and and was in the screenwriting program there. But then, you know, you kind of graduate and 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 you're back on your own, like right at the back at the bottom of the pile, you know. And um, I just did. I mean, gosh, years and years of of just kind of grudge work, grunge work, you know, or uh, drudge work, whatever you want to call it, working as an assistant, um, you know, for a management company and for a producer and as a reader. And, you know, you're writing on the side, but it just is kind of that question of like, what gets noticed, you know, and like, how do you get a manager? And how do you get an agent? And how do you get your work noticed? And, 
it's a really frustrating thing, right? Especially like, you know, just coming out here from Chicago, it's not like I had, um, you know, even that like one person who I knew in the film industry who could who could help kind of guide the way. So you kind of just a lot of times you just have to figure it out for yourself and you're kind of feeling around in the dark and 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 you just kind of, um, you know, you, you you follow the path that that feels right in your gut. Um, so for me, I, you know, it, it was it was writing specs, you know, and um, I um, I finally kind of broke through in, in 2018. I wrote the spec that that got me an agent and a manager. It was this college football movie. Um, but then and, you know, I thought at that time, like, gosh, I've made it, you know, like even though that script didn't sell or anything like that, I, I, I was, um, you know, it just felt like, OK, I at least have representation now. And that was like the big step I was missing. But, you know, little did I know the 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 path would, would only get longer because, um, you know, after you get representation, they send you on all these kind of they, they're called general meetings. Right. So you go and like meet all the different production companies in Hollywood and producers and studios, and they pitch you all the projects they have. And while that's really exciting, um, it's really hard to book those jobs, you know, yeah. like there's so many writers that go up for it. And uh, you you kind of have to like figure out the movie be, before you even write it, you know, which, which is how the process, I guess, should work. But like, that's work that's you're doing unpaid for someone else. And yeah, you know, there's dozens of other writers that are that are working on the same stuff. Um, so I, I, you know, looking back, I, I feel like I, I wasted a lot of time, you know, and like mm -hmm. hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I was just so like desperate to try and make some sort of headway that I got caught up in and trying to chase all these, all these assignments instead of just writing something for myself, you know. And and in a way, um, you know, the pandemic kind of served as like a, a reset, you know, it it gave me time and space um, in those early days of lockdown. They're just kind of like, you know, look in the mirror and be like honest with myself and be like, I'm not doing the work that I want to do, you know, and that's always a hard and, and tough realization to come to. And a lot of times you don't even want to admit it to yourself, you know, but, um, you know, I, um, I, I wrote this spec um, similar to air, you know, it was a spec biopic, but it was about the, um, the early days of Marvel Comics and Stan Lee, mm. Jack Kirby, and kind of that whole story. And, um, you know, they always tell you, like, don't spec something you don't control the rights to, which, which like, you know, on paper is good advice, you know, and in, in, in theory, that is that is good advice. Particularly with a very a company like Disney who owns the rights, who's very image conscious for that. Well, and exactly. And therein lies like a little bit of a lesson I learned. And, and you know, kind of, even though I wasn't really thinking about it, subconsciously affected how I was writing Air ultimately. Um, because that Stanley project, like, you know, people responded to the script and, and um, you know, I got a lot of cool meetings off it. And, and, and there was some excitement about the script. Um, Sony actually has Stanley's life rights. Um, mm. And like a complicated deal of the same one they got spider-man in and for a second it looked like that movie was going to happen you know and it was like oh my gosh like here we go you know um and then of course <laughs> that project died you know for for a lot of different reasons but primarily exactly what you're saying you know like you're talking about a, a fairly high profile and public figure and in, in stanley and obviously in marvel comics um, so it's like, there I was right back to square one you know which is just like so frustrating and i, I literally was like i'm okay like Everyone was right. I should not have spec something I didn't control the rights to. But then literally, you know, there I was in May of, of 2020 watching The Last Dance. And, and I saw that, you know, kind of short clip on 
the Jordan deal and the Nike of it all and, you know, how unlikely the whole thing was. And I was just like, gosh, that is such an interesting story. And honestly, my first instinct was like, someone must have tried this already, you know, in, in, in some sort of capacity. Um, but when I, you know, kind of figured out that, man, it, it was kind of untouched. I just thought, well, <laughs> like, I guess I'm going to break that promise to myself, you know, and, and get back to specking something that um, I literally have zero control over. Um, and, you know, literally in my head, it was a it was a writing sample, you know, because it was like the early days of lockdown, you know, obviously Hollywood, like the rest of the world was pretty shut down. So I was like, you know, I'll take the time, I'll write a writing sample, hopefully it'll be good and it can get me a different job, you know, like it will book me a job writing a different biopic or a different sports story or, or, you know, whatever. And in a way that kind of freed me to not worry so much about like whether it was going to get made or not. Cause I was just so certain that it wouldn't. And it did allow me to kind of just make the script more interesting on the page. You know, I, I broke like a lot of those like quote unquote screenwriting rules, right. Of like, don't write what the camera, what you can't shoot on, on, on what the camera can't see. Right. And like, don't talk to the reader and don't use we and I and pronouns like that. And, and, um, you know, I was just so dead set on like, this is going to be like the most readable script I could, it can possibly be because that's how it, that's how it was always going to live in my head. And, um, you know, I think that is in a lot of ways what people responded to. It's this kind of like odd thing of like, surrendering the idea that would ever get made is actually what kind of allowed me to write with um you know with intention i i yeah. is kind of the word i i i would use and um you know just like the stan lee script like you know my reps were uh uh you know i i would say fairly like perturbed that i had <laughs> that i <laughs> like wasted time writing this even though they like the script but to their credit you know, they were like, okay, well, let's take some shots on the script and try to get it to places that would actually have some interest in making it, right? So obviously, you're going to look at like sports driven production companies. And um, some of the first ones we went to were Mandalay and, and Skydance, who was starting the scripted sports division um, at that time. And, and those two uh, companies ended up being uh, the, the original production companies on the movie. And, you know, from there, it, it was a question of like, okay, <laughs> what rights do we need and like whose permission do we need to, to, to write this movie, to, to make this movie. And um, the first up was, was Sonny, right? Because he's the protagonist of the movie and, and, and um, you know, if he's not on board with, with the movie from the onset, then like, you know, you're, you're, you're in trouble before you even start. So um, Skydance and Mandalay got in touch with Sonny and his people. And, um, you know, I had, this just amazing experience driving down to Palm Springs where, where Sonny lives with his wife, Pam, and just like sitting at the table with them and going through the script and talking about everything, you know, like what we got right, what we got wrong, what was super important to him, uh, what was less important. And, um, you know, I did a quick pass on the script based on, on, on that, that day sitting with him. And then over the holiday break in 2021, you know, we took our shots at, at directors and actors, right? The idea being like to actually finance this movie, you need it, it is kind of you know a movie about people in rooms talking. So like you need a you need movie stars to put on the poster, and and obviously you need an exciting filmmaker. So we kind of took our like dream dream um, shots and submissions over that holiday break, and you know Ben was obviously on the list, and um, you know I got back in in January of 2022 and and got that call that uh you know he had responded to the script and and was interested in meeting and that he wanted to direct it too which which was super exciting and um 
And then, yeah, there I was, um, you know, sitting with Ben Affleck, which, which definitely was, um, you know, a bit surreal. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I'd been down those roads a couple of times on some of my other scripts and had met, you know, like big A-list actors who were interested in projects. You know, I think the thing, the inside baseball part of Hollywood is like just because an A-list actor is interested in, in being in the movie or making the movie doesn't mean the movie's going to happen. Right. Like there's right. so many steps that need to that need to fall into place for it to happen starting with obviously a studio that's willing to finance the movie even with ben specifically i feel like i've seen like five different projects after uh live by night that i thought were going to be ben's next film and yeah. it, uh you know it, like stuff happens you know like that's just hollywood you know like best intentions can always go to the wayside and especially when you're you know, of the stature of like Ben and Matt, you're getting stuff submitted to you every single day and there's new and exciting stuff on the horizon at all times. So again, it's just like, I I had been through that experience a couple of times of having like, you know, really exciting names involved in, in scripts I had written, but then, you know, they, they kind of go away or fall apart for, you know, like for the reasons all these things happen, you know, there's just like another project comes along and, you know, no fault of their own. It's just, um, you know that that that's the nature of, of 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 the Hollywood machine. You know, luckily with this one, uh, Ben and Matt were really motivated to make something together that summer. You know, and like again, that's why so much of you know so much of life is being in the right place at the right time. And um, you know, I'm obviously super proud of the script, but I always tell people like that's why you that's why you have to put material out there because you just never know who's going to be looking for what at at, mm -hmm. at a certain time. You know, like if I'd written air in 2019, who's to say what happens with it? You know, it's Ben and Matt were super motivated to go make something that summer. They had kind of the six week window that they could both do. And they were like, let's go figure this out right away. You know, and there was urgency, which is so, so rare in Hollywood. You know, normally yeah. it's like you know, okay, we're going to go. And then you don't hear anything for two months, you know? And then it's like, yeah, it's still happening. And then, you know, the phone dies for another two months. And it's like, yeah, actually nothing's going to happen. So this was kind of the exact opposite where like from that first meeting, it was like, no, go, 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 go. Um, and, and let's figure this out. You know, so there was a lot of steps involved, right? Like the big thing is Ben was, was we already had Sonny's life rights at the time. So we had that taken care of um, and, and had Sonny on board on the project, which was super important. But Ben, uh, rightfully so, was like, it's really paramount to me that we get Michael Jordan's blessing on the movie. Um, and that's all, you know, the minute he said that, I was like, oh, my God, this is this really is never going to happen, you know, because yeah. like, <laughs> what motivation does Michael Jordan have? But, um, you know, look, to Ben's credit, like he went about it completely the right way. Um, there was just so much authenticity involved in those like next couple passes at the script. And you know, when he flew down to meet Michael, um, you know, he really was able to sit at that table with him and like, you know, kind of give him the intentions of the movie. And 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 luckily, Michael was open to it and, and provided his own kind of set of um, not even notes per se, but just like the things that were really important to him, including Howard White being in the movie, which is where Chris Tucker, uh, where Chris Tucker's character comes from. And that uh, George Ravelin was in the movie, which is Marlon Wayans character. And then, of course, he was like, and Viola Davis has to play my mom. And then I'm like, OK, this movie is truly never going to happen. <laughs> it's like those first two we can take care of, like, you know, we can we can write them into the movie. Uh, I can't write Viola Davis into this movie. But again, like it's just, you know, there was so much kismet involved in this project and i think like the cast that had already been assembled and obviously like elevating dolores's role i think that was really exciting to viola and you know getting to play this kind of 
you know, ultimately a super important person in history that just, you know, kind of um, has got lost in, in, in the shuffle of Michael being the, the greatest basketball player of all time, you know, like the role Dolores played in that deal was so paramount and like to be able to um, give her the credit she's due and show it on the big screen. Um, you know, I think that was really uh, uh, attracted to Viola and we were so lucky to get her. And, you know, to me, she just makes the movie and, and brings just like a whole other human element to, um, you know, a movie uh, uh, about shoe deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she, uh, it's, so important that it almost surprises me to hear that she wasn't part of the screenplay from the beginning. Yeah, well, I should say like Dolores was, you know, she was because I had done, you know, a bunch of research and obviously I I knew that she was kind of acting as, you know, Michael's, uh, uh, you know, not business manager, but like she was in all those meetings and she was the one that pushed him to Nike you know, we knew all that, but that is just like what the research covers, right? And then when Ben went and sat with Michael, you know, Michael just really emphasized, like at the end of the day, how important she was to closing the deal and pushing for the percentage of sales and all of that. So like that part of of uh, the movie really came from, excuse me, that meeting with Michael. But um, no, of course she was, she was um, in the movie from the get-go. <laughs> Well, you know, one thing I was curious about, you mentioned your research. I, I was a little surprised to see that this was just an original screenplay because there is yeah. so much detail on it. I mean, I, I know you, uh, you, you got the five minutes of the gist from The Last Dance, obviously, but this is a very thorough, well-researched movie. So what did you do in terms of finding all the facts and specifics when you were building this screenplay? I mean, it was literally just scouring, I mean, truly anything you can think of, right? Like there were obvious places to start, you know, like I ordered a bunch of books on, on Jordan. I mean, honestly, I owned a lot of those books already just <laughs> growing up as, as a Bulls fan. Sure. Uh, and, uh, so a lot of books on Michael and then a lot of books on Nike, right? So there were a couple of Jordan texts that were really important. David Halberstam uh, wrote this kind of just like, the most thorough Jordan uh, story you'll you'll read, um, the Jordan Rules by Sam Smith. Um, not necessarily about this specific time, but just about like a young Michael Jordan and and what he was like. And then yeah, from the Nike side of things, um, Strasser's wife actually, the the wife of the character that Jason Bateman plays, wrote uh, this unauthorized uh, history of Nike called Swoosh, uh, which mm. is super good. It's like seven hundred pages that that is just so thorough of of you know, real, the the history of Nike. So reading that was super important. And then obviously Shoe Dog, I, I read just to kind of get inside the, the, you know, Phil Knight's head. And that became paramount when it came to, to writing that character and kind of taking that character on, on his own journey, even though he was, you know, kind of, kind of the supporting character. And then, I mean, truly just scouring every corner of the internet you can imagine, you know, luckily, um, you know, it's 1984. So it's like not that long ago, right? Yeah. So a lot of it, it's like, you know, you could find podcasts and YouTube videos and and newspaper articles just about, you know, all this, all the characters uh, involved. And then it just was really like, okay, how can we piece together like all of these different source materials into, you know, kind of a, a, a tapestry and, and, and the fabric of the story. So yeah, it's one of those weird just terminology things where it's like, yes, original screenplay. It's like, how is that possible when it's based on a true story? But, you know, just like the letter of the law, it's like, if it's not from one source, then it's technically an original screenplay, which like, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that's like a label thing. <laughs> no, I, I think that's fair. I think that's definitely fair. It's just, it, it's incredibly thorough. Well, Chris Messina's character, writing that, <laughs> 
was that kind of a composite or was that um I mean, was was that based pretty extensively on the real agent? Yeah, I mean, you know, you do research into David Falk and he is like, you know, the prototypical power agent, you know, I mean, you have to be to be Michael Jordan's agent. And by the way, to yeah. get him deals that he did. So, yes, I mean, did I have fun with that role? Of course, yeah. you know, like I kind of took that idea and, and ran with it in terms of like, let's not let's like turn this up to 11 in terms of of being like the quote unquote power agent. And then look like you, know, you have to give all the credit in the world to Chris Messina because for sure he took what was on the page and just brought it to life in um, a way that like, you know, I just I never could have imagined it was just hilarious, you know, and he brings this whole other element to the movie, um, you know, those phone calls between him and Matt are, are some of my favorite <laughs> scenes. So it's like, you know, it's a mixture of all that stuff. It's like, I do believe that's who David Falk was. Like, you know, I, I don't think, is it exaggerated? Yes, of course. But I, I don't think we uh, are super far off, off base. <laughs> um, and look, ultimately, at the end of the day, like, He's protecting his client, you know, as yeah. as you know, kind of funny as the role is, and and as like loud and and turned up as that role is, like all good supporting characters, like I do view it as like he believes he's doing the right thing, and he is, you know. So it's like you turn the camera, he could be, you could do a movie about him, you know, and it's yeah. like that's typically how I try to look at supporting characters. You know, you want them to be the, the star of their own movie that doesn't exist because of the movie you're writing, but 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 it, it is like, you know, kind of an offshoot. The air cinematic universe. I can hear yeah, the exactly. dollar signs. <laughs> well, that's very cool. And then uh, last question I was going to ask, uh, were the needle drops scripted? Because I feel like the way you said you wrote this script, did you already have some of these songs literally like written on the page? Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Yeah, I had a lot of needle drops in in uh, in the script. I don't think many of them made it into the final movie. You know, that was uh, that that was mostly Ben, and like it, it was. One of the first things Ben said was like, you know, I want to use a lot of needle drops and like I, I would be cool if like almost all of them are from 1984. Um, I was a little more liberal in my usage of them in the script, you know, and I I had more, um, I don't know, kind of early hip hop in there, too, just because of like, you know, the co cultural impact of of, sure. of of the the shoe and all of that. And uh and yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it. I'll never forget seeing like the director's cut of the movie for the first time and hearing one. I was like, "There's no way they're ever going to get all these songs." You know? like, there's just no way. And they did. I mean, it was, um, you that's know, insane. it was. Uh, yeah, it, it 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 was really fun. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, so 
you've uh, you've established yourself as someone, and you mentioned your first spec script was a uh, was a college basketball movie. So you've established yourself as kind of a sports uh, biography writer. Is that kind of what you're looking to continue? Are you looking to flesh out lesser known stories of sports history or? Is there something else you want to write about going forward? I mean, I just look for character. You know, I really do. Like, uh, I love writing these type of movies. Is it the only thing I ever want to do? No, of course not. You know, but, you know, I, it comes from this place of like the advice you hear the most, I would say, in film school is write what you know. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you knew the bulls. Yeah, that's it, man. You know, it's like there's obviously a really literal interpretation of that advice. But growing up in the suburbs of Chicago as like I was basically a background extra in a John Hughes movie, like the kid who <laughs> didn't have all that excitement and romance and partying and all of that. You know, it's like I didn't really have that sort of like, you know, story to tell about uh, growing up or, 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 or really like anything autobiographical. So then it becomes like, yeah, what do I know? Right. And it's like, I always tell people, it's like, you know, normally when you're looking for an idea, like I'm always a big advocate of looking inward, not outward, you know, it's like, just what, what, what's the stuff that you're most passionate about when it's just you, you know, and like, you're not worried about, are other people going to like it or will other people be interested in it? It's like, if you are super interested in it, then I can guarantee you that there will, that others will be as well. So for me, that was like a real revelation when I was specking. And, and I think that ultimately that is, you know, like my, my first spec um, came from a place of just like, I love college football, but I've always felt like we haven't seen the true sport depicted on screen. You know, like that script Bagman is, is more of a crime movie in the yeah. vein of like heat or catch me if you can, but set in the crazy backdrop of college football. So sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I obviously uh, uh, would love to see it happen one day and and, and we'll see. But um, and then, yeah, like the Stanley script, it's like I grew up as a comic book nerd, you know, so that was always a story I that was super interesting to me. And it was just such a joy to write it because I'm passionate about it, you know, so it's that's my version of write what you know, you know, and then obviously, yeah, 90, 90s kid from Chicago, like the the Jordan element is <laughs> what was pretty easy. But then the other part of it, too, was just like connecting to Sonny as a character, you know, like where I was as like a struggling writer who just felt like, gosh, everything's stacked against me. And I've like had all these false stars, but nothing's ever really worked out. Like, I, I don't think I was really thinking about it at the time, but now looking back, it's like, you know, kind of clear how I was able to step into those shoes and, and write that sort of character because a lot of it is like emotionally what what, what I was going through at, at that specific moment in my life. That's a great answer. Well, I think we're about out of time. I did want to say one last thing. If I tilt my head, you can see my law degree. I'm a Trojan too. So fight on. There you go, uh, man. Fight on. Yeah. <laughs> Disappointing. Uh, disappointing football season but uh you know less the said the better on the, but uh <laughs> yeah all right well thank you so much and uh good luck this award season you know i Thanks. know uh this is already uh the start of great things everyone knows your name but it'd be even cooler if you become our oscar nominee alex convery so we're rooting for you on that front man appreciate it man yeah thanks so much absolutely all right what's the plan we build a shoe line around just him I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. You're motoring. You have our attention. You show up at the house. I believe in your son. 
I believe he's the future. And his story is gonna make us want to fly. But a shoe is just a shoe. Until my son steps into it. Got a name for it? Air Jordan. I don't know. Seriously? Maybe it'll grow on me. It's uh, nice to meet another William, I guess. I know, what a great name. Yeah, I've been a big fan for a long time, obviously. One of our great editors working. So um, I know you've worked with Ben frequently. You, uh, you won an Oscar editing Argo, even. As I understand it, this was a pretty quick turnaround time when you got thrown into this one. So tell me a little bit about that process. Well, it was. I mean, he didn't even I didn't even know about the film. I think he didn't even know about the film. It felt like it was six weeks. I, I don't I can't remember exactly, but it was short. I have this movie we're going to do. I'm like, it's a they told me the story. I thought it was amazing. I didn't you know. I said, well, but can I read the script? So we're still working on it. He sent me what the original one. But then he said before I even read it, he said, wait, I'm sending you a new one tomorrow. And <laughs> And then, you know, they were so deep into pre-production and there was so much going on with casting and, and all that, that we didn't really talk much about the film or, you know, really dig deep into it until we started shooting and cutting. And um, we, uh, the, the whole, the shoot was 23 days. And, you know, they had, it was like all these people that were so good at their jobs, including the actors and the, I mean, everybody top to bottom that it just moved fast. And Bob Richardson, who's the DP, is a genius and fast on top of it. And um, he and, he and uh, Ben have a real rapport because they, they did the Live by Night together. And um, it just, you know, it just really moved. And and um, and what was also helpful was that we were, we were all in the same building, the production office, the editing rooms, and the set, um, or mo almost all the sets were in this building in Santa Monica um in the santa monica industrial park and so it was very immediate you know if you, i needed ben i could just walk out the door and there he was you know 20 feet away in the hallway or you know they had all the the front the two floors of nike were fully built out you know they stripped them down and fully built them so all that was you know like it was really upstairs downstairs like it was a real place and that's fun yeah and then they even had like lunch room and it was all and then also but they had like viola davis's kitchen you know the jordan's kitchen was in a, another office and what's his name um david falk you know uh chris machine that was in yeah, another. Yeah, yeah it was all there you know um so it was it was like making a really high-end film in a college dormitory in a way <laughs> they refer to it as summer camp but uh that I, sounds I, so fun honestly it was Just... really fun I and mean, it was hard work and everybody was hustling and working as hard as they could and and ben's very in inspiring as a director he's very upbeat and like really knows what he's doing and and um it, everybody feeds off that energy and and I, you know, was getting a ton of footage because to shoot that fast, you got to shoot a lot of film and a lot of mm -hmm. cameras. And, and a lot of times they were shooting five cameras and um, or four, you know, but but especially all the phone call scenes, they they shot with five cameras. And so it's a tremendous amount of film. And I was working my tail off to stay up to camera so that they could because they were shooting so fast. So they, just so Ben they could be sure he wasn't missing anything. You know, because and then it turned out a few times, and it was more like, oh, that transition is weird. We need to know th th this before we get to there. 
or things, you know, whatever it was. And they, the three of us would sit around and come up with ideas, you know, and they think it's something brilliant usually. And they go literally a couple of times like, Hey, okay, we'll be right back. And they would literally run out down the hall and shoot it. You know, everything, the whole set was lit um, all the time. And Bob just had a tweak, you know, do the fine touches on the lighting. And when they would shoot stuff like either it wasn't right then, it would be the next morning, you know, and, and so it was constantly moving and shooting. And it was it was so much fun. It was like how you'd picture it to be, you know. Yeah, it's almost like it sounds almost like going back to the old days of the studio system, you know, where everything's. Yes. Everything the, right there. The yeah, lot. Everything right. Just, yeah. yeah, that's and, so yeah. fun. And they treated us great. You know, they had, every day would be like a different food truck, or you know, an ice cream truck, or a Italian ice truck. And you know, it, it was so they treated us great. The food was great. Everybody, you know, everybody. It was a one giant family. Everybody got along. You know, um, it, it was just it was just really really fun. Well, you mentioned five cameras for a lot of these scenes. That kind of ties into something I was curious about, which is it's not easy to make a movie like this that is largely set in just a couple rooms and is primarily conversations and keep it from just becoming essentially a talking headpiece. And obviously some of this was with Ben and Bob's work in camera, but tell me a little bit about keeping everything kind of energetic and visually dynamic, making sure things don't get repetitive when you're in these same locations so frequently. Well, like you say, I mean, a lot, a lot of the credit, you know, a lot of moving camera, a lot of steady cam, you know, and they some say 360 cameras and, and then, you know, which really helped and added a lot of energy and a lot of movement to it. And, um, but I had luckily for me, I had a lot of coverage and, you know, they, most of the time they were moving those cameras or leaving it to slowly, subtly moving them. And I had a lot of different angles. So it, it allowed me to, you know, not overcut it, but to cut it in a way that, and it, you know, it always, it always had a lot of energy and the actors, obviously, you know, if I only Davis, Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, you know, it's like, it's a little cheating um, to have that kind of skill, you know, um, because so, the actors brought so much of their own energy to it, whether um, like Chris Messina, obviously his character is, you know, so much fun. And Chris just had so much fun with the part that that gave it, you know, his performance gave it the energy. So it was always about like keeping one step, you know, to keeping the tension of the of the story going. Like, are they going to do it? Are they not? You know, is they gonna, you know, are they going to get Jordan? You know, so you have to find that suspension of disbelief you know, and cut it at a, at a pace that feels like, like almost like a ticking clock so that, mm. you know, there's always something happening and always something moving forward and just pausing when we need to pause for emotional beats, but keeping the story moving like it was, a you know, a race against the other sneaker companies, you know, and wanted to keep that energy of that. So it was just something we were always aware of, you know, from scene to scene within scenes to keep, keep the pace up except when you know when necessary when there's an you know like i said when like an emotional beat i mean our job is to sort of as an editor your job is to tell the story in the most efficient way and so hopefully we did that with this movie and it feels like we did because the feedback you know well there's one emotional beat in particular that you really get to shine in obviously and i assume you know what i'm gonna say which is matt damon's big speech where yeah. you know you're interspersing all this footage of Michael's career and life. 
you're choosing the right moments to cut back to Matt. So tell me a little bit about that sequence, because that is probably the moment that really sealed the deal on this moment for people on this movie for people. Yeah, I agree. And it, it was, you know, I knew from the first time I read the script that that was going to be the most challenging scene editorially because of all that, like what you're talking about. I mean, just the weight of the scene just as a scene, you know, to the audience has to believe that the Jordans were convinced or believe they're convinced enough, you know, and um, and believe that it's going wrong. And and but the hardest thing, obviously, was, you know, if you're flashing forward in time. And that's an unusual thing to do in a movie. And it's certainly an unusual thing to do in a movie that feels like gritty in 80s. Mm-hmm. So the idea of will it work at all and, you know, um, was a question. Originally, as scripted, when Matt started pitching Michael, it was supposed to be much more of Matt's dialogue as almost like a voiceover over a series of video images. Meaning that we weren't going to be on him very much. It was going to be all, not all video, but a lot. And... It worked, but it felt a little outside the movie and it felt a little strangely unemotional. Mm. And Matt was so good in his performance that we were like, why aren't we on Matt more? You know, <laughs> but like, let's lean. I think because, you know, in that scene, you're Mike, the audience is Michael Jordan. You know, you're you're standing there. You know, you don't see his face. You're you're getting the pitch. And, and Matt was so good. And so his energy was so good um that we just like let's stay on we gotta stay on Matt a lot and then that led us to realize that these images need to be snapshots and not full you know like uh, telling the story with this video and they need to be snapshots of the future because that's what it's just like you're glimpsing and and we wanted the so we wanted the images to be glimpsed and that made that really is when it clicked in we realized they need to be short pieces and and um, what was more important was how's how is Dolores Jordan reacting to this? How's Phil Knight, you know, reacting to it? How's uh, what's his uh, James Jordan reacting to it? And that and then, you know, because through that you got what how Michael was feeling because Dolores is obviously the matriarch of that family. And and, you know, as Michael put it, she ran shit, you know, <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that when when they. Um, in the scene with George Raveling, where George says about the mom, the mom runs shit. That's right out of Michael's mouth. You know, Michael said that to Ben. Yeah, my he said, uh, my dad was his great guy, great personality, but my mom runs shit. You know, <laughs> so I went right in the screenplay. Um, uh, so yeah, so that that scene was a work in progress almost up until the very end. And just to get the right balance and, you know, and again, you're an unlimited supply of Michael Jordan highlights, you know, which ones do we use? And and we, we didn't want it to become a Michael Jordan highlight reel. You can go and right. YouTube that, you know, it, they needed to be, they needed to tell a specific emotional story. And when we discern, we, we distilled it all down to that, then it, then the scene worked, you know, it really, really worked emotionally. So there's, uh, you know, there's two other things as we kind of get close in here. I was curious about one, the needle drops in this film. Uh, how involved were you in picking out those songs? It's a great soundtrack. I was involved in that. I, you know, Ben, I was a little older than Ben, but um, we both grew up with all those songs, you know, yeah. so all, I loved every song he picked. He had a huge library of songs. 
there were some that were written into the script, but then as we got closer to shooting, Ben called me and said, I think I want to have a lot of songs in the movie. I think it'll really, the movie will really lend itself to that. And I thought it was a great idea. And so he, he had a whole library of songs, not necessarily for any specific, there were some, like I said, that were scripted, it was for specific spots. Like, you know, my Adidas clearly went in that place, you know, right. right. And there were other songs that were written in that that's where it goes. But a lot of most of them were. And so, um it was a lot of experimenting me experimenting ben saying no let's try this let's try that he had a very very heavy hand in in into what went in the final i mean you know he's a director and um he had a you know we would argue like in a friendly way you know we would always be fighting like i can't believe you like that song you're like because you know we should use this it was a lot of like you know me trying to get my favorites in him trying to get his favorites in but you know ultimately uh it, it was a um a real collaboration but but he you know had a real vision for what those songs should be so he he uh ended up being the arbiter of the of the uh of the song score all right and then the last question is um and this ties into a song tell me really quickly about putting together those opening credits i think money for nothing's playing and it's it is great snapshot of the 80s well, that's what it's supposed to be set the time period and you said it more in a pop culture way is more than a political way, you know, because this movie is about, you know, the, I mean, it's obviously about a mother and her son and about somebody's like sticking to their convictions and the underdog succeeding, but the sort of framework of it is this, you know, glimpse of the eighties. So it was, and because the sneaker became such a big thing in pop culture that the opening montage lent itself to that with commercials and movie clips and and you know cell phones and you know who was running for president and and so it it, it just we you know had of course the choice of everything that's ever been <laughs> on video in the 80s or in 84 so it was a little bit overwhelming but then we as we got to you know again distilling it down to what this was trying to do what what story we we're trying to tell with it it, it became clear what to use and then uh, the basketball scene in the opening and the Vegas scene where they were meant to be originally in the body of the film. Mm. And when they shot in the middle of shooting it, Matt said to Ben, I don't think this is going to work here. I don't think we need it there. I think we should use it in the in the opening. And it was all both both Ben and I were like, you know, yes, of course, you're right. And we were able to weave it in together to show to set Sonny up and what his character was like and what he did. So that when you talk about him being a basketball guru, you see it. You've already seen it. You talk about him being a gambler, you've seen it. You know, so that's wild because that felt so natural there in the opening. I assumed it was always scripted like that. No, we were able to weave it together so it, that it worked and it just made the opening it it wasn't so it just wasn't like an opening credit thing. It actually had story. So mm. that it made it, you know, way better by having that in there. And um and then Ben shot. Ben and and uh, a couple of the camera people and some of the extras they gave everybody cameras in the bullpen area of Nike in the, on the set and so all, a lot of that stuff you know like 16 millimeter 8 millimeter stuff uh, the people on set just had cameras and were shooting stuff and Ben was shooting stuff like between takes he would grab just grab a, an 8 millimeter camera and start shooting a ton of stuff like whether shooting the inserts shooting the actors shooting the extras you know and um so we had hours and hours of the our own like sort of fake archival that we were able to blend we were able to blend with the real archival and and uh you know hopefully it came off quite seamlessly 
Yeah, it's a throwback to your days of uh, JFK with Oliver Stone, right? Yeah, all that fake archival with the real deal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I <laughs> think we're about out of time. Well, yeah, uh, but anyway, pleasure talking to you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Thank, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interviews with the screenwriter for AIR, Alex Convery, and the film's editor, William Goldenberg, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. AIR is now currently available to stream on Prime Video and is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. grown-up me too yep me too but you know these days being a grown-up can really suck luckily we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation we had video arcades and also some of the best tv and movies ever made we lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics the list goes on and on yep generation x exactly and we're gen x grown-up every week the gen x grown-up podcast explores media tech toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.